Hey everybody and welcome to Genre Exposure, a podcast where we explore genre cinema and hopefully introduce you to some movies that you haven't seen. So this week we're going to talk about John Woo's epic 1992 action film Hard Boiled, starring Chow Yun-Fat and Tony Leung. But first, let's introduce our host today. I'm Michael. This is Dustin. Hey. This is Jason. Hi everybody. All right, guys. So as we do every time, let's go ahead and just talk about uh, what we watched during the week. Dustin, what'd you watch? Well, uh, I had some backlog of stuff I received for Christmas from a certain fellow, Jason. And so for the first time ever, I checked out Naked Lunch by David Cronenberg. Uh, oh, yes, yes. You lucky, lucky man. It was it was an interesting experience. Uh, I'm not even sure how to give a plot briefly if you've never seen it, but... Uh, Based on a novel by William S. Burroughs, um, I I struggled with it a lot. I have a fear of bugs; they really <laughs> get to me no matter what. There was there was lots of it, um, and all of course enlarged and sickeningly Cronenberg enhanced. Um, but I thought it was very good, very surreal. I love a you know trippy mess with your mind movie, um, and I loved it start to finish. You know, funny thing, um, one of the first horror films that I watched when um, Jason and I were roommates was Naked Lunch. Because Jason was like, you know what? If you're going to live here, you should see if you can handle this movie or not. <laughs> and I remember sitting there watching it and being like, I'm sorry, excuse me, what, Jason? <laughs> what are we watching? That's right. Watching Naked Lunch while having lunch naked, actually. was You were having lunch naked. <laughs> um, oh, my. I was fully clothed and uncomfortable. <laughs> so Jason, but you enjoyed the movie, and that's the point. I did. I loved the movie. The movie's great. Your nudity less so <laughs> so this movie is kind of special to you right because i noticed you have you have a book all about it you Indeed. recommend it often so what is it about naked lunch for you uh well i was always a huge cronenberg fan um and um naked lunch i think is one of his finest films i think it's one of the most well directed and shot uh of course the source material the book itself is amazing well, hard to read challenging but amazing and it uh, just always resonated with me. But hard to read. Do you mean there's a lot of big words in it? <laughs> <laughs> there's a few big words, yes, but mm-hmm. mostly because it's very stream of consciousness, beat generation, strange. Okay. And there's just something about Cronenberg for me in general. Like all his films, there's a there's an uneasiness in almost everything he does, and it partially is that body horror stuff. It's something about how he hones in on this idea of like you know people changing and transforming into something else, and Kind of in all of his films, there's like a element of that that just uh, it always leaves you uneasy. Even no matter how many times you've watched one of his films, it sticks with you. Agreed. Jason, what'd you watch? Um, probably the most interesting movie I watched in the last week or so was a movie called Blood Beat, <laughs> a 1982 uh, quote supernatural slasher film from Wisconsin. Uh, it's now streaming on Amazon Prime, if anyone has that would like to watch it. Uh, it's very entertaining. I wouldn't say it's a good movie, but it's a very interesting movie where you will not be bored. And especially if you're from Wisconsin, I'm sure you'll see maybe some people you recognize and some locations you might know. And it's, it's entertaining. I recommend it. And it's now restored. It's a brisk, you know, 4-3 film, <laughs> uh, Vinegar Syndrome, bless him. Apparently mistakenly shot in 4.3, because the cinematographer that, yeah. thought it was a TV movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
it's worth the time. It's very entertaining. Uh, it does drag a bit, but you spend so much of the time kind of just trying to figure out what's going on and why they thought, you know, scene to scene, this made sense somehow. Wait, so just so everybody understands, Jason, why don't you tell us just, uh, you know, in a few words, what is Bloodbeat about? Um, Please. It's about an hour and a half. <laughs> and Most importantly, <laughs> this is how much time you will spend with this yes, quote-unquote much of your time film. Wasted, um, but no. It, basically, it is about a girl who has a psychic connection with a ghost-like samurai warrior who goes about killing people in her vicinity. Why there is a samurai warrior ghost in Wisconsin, I don't know. Okay, never and, I, and I that. have to ask: Does this girl have any reason to be possessed by a samurai warrior? Um, no. Okay. Okay. And it has one of the most bonkers final acts of any film you could watch. Yeah, like Manito. And it would it would be a great double with Ninja Three. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was gonna put that out there. So if any of you guys are stuck at home, you know, like you should be, <laughs> and need something else to to kill the time, uh, Jason recommends you should go watch Bloodbeat. You could do worse than Bloodbeat, definitely. Oh yeah. I'll make fun of it, but I, you know, I had a fun time. I'd, I'd go again. Yeah. So should you be inebriated while watching Bloodbeat? Yeah, it doesn't hurt. All right, there you go. There's a glaring endorsement. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Michael? Did you watch anything interesting? Uh, so you know how you have those movies on your shelf that you're like, ah, uh, yeah, I know that movie. Oh shit, have I watched that movie before? <laughs> I have too many of those. Yeah, that like this one was out of the package, so I feel like I should have watched it but I clearly didn't um, because I didn't remember anything about it when I watched it. But I uh, actually went back and visited uh, Christopher Nolan's 2006 uh, The Prestige. Yeah, good movie. Classic. Yeah, it's really good. Very well acted, very well shot. I mean, that's kind of nothing to expect from Nolan, though. Yeah, it's I mean, it's Nolan. No you can just say that. And yeah. That says so much already. Like, it doesn't matter. Nolan could, like, you know, poop on a piece of film, and you're like, well, that shot well. It's high art. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's good. It's a really good film. Um, Christian Bale's pretty awesome in it. Um, I honestly think he kind of gets outshined a little bit by Hugh Jackman. Um, Bale's usually the one who's the over the top, like in your face actor. But I think Jackman has the flashier role in that movie too, though. He does. He has the meteor part. He does. He does. And I'm not gonna spoil anything, but I think there's a reason for that. Not going to spoil anything for a twenty-year-old movie. How old no. is that? When was that? So much of that film is kind of built upon the revelations as you go. I think. Right? Yeah, Let's yeah, say. and uh, and I don't want to spoil it for anybody because if you haven't seen it, it's been so long now. Nobody's going to talk about it, so nobody's going to be like, "Oh my god, did you watch the Prestige over the weekend?" Well, <laughs> let me tell you what happened. Well, apparently, we are. <laughs> That's because we're John Wickspeed. <laughs> That's right. So, I mean, kind of once you know the resolve of the film kind of might kill it for you. So I'm not going to say anything, but definitely can recommend this movie. I would actually argue it's one of those movies that even if you know the ending, it's so good it's worth watching anyway. And in some ways it might even enrich the viewing process. Well, I I'll, can see that. I'll say this. I've, I love it, but I've never really gone back to revisit it ever. Actually, I haven't either. Not I've never, I've never felt that compulsion to just, uh, you know, I want to go back, I want to get in this again. His other films, plenty, but never the Prestige. But now I feel like watching it again. So, well I done, mean, Michael. If nothing else, you get David Bowie as Nikola Tesla. This is true. True. 
And good enough, David Bowie. Really cool too. Andy Serkis is in it, and I forgot about that. Who is he? In he that? actually plays uh, Nikola Tesla's uh, kind of Igor character. That's right. Yes. Okay. Andy right. Serkis showed up, and I was like, "Holy shit! It's Andy Serkis!" Yeah. And my wife was like, "Who's Andy Serkis?" <laughs> and I would, didn't have time to go into the glories of Andy Serkis, but make time for it later. Uh, yeah, I should. Yeah, I should. She didn't seem to care. <laughs> All right, so now that we got those out of the way, let's jump right on in, hard-boiled. Okay, um, Michael, this was your pick. It was. What made you pick hard-boiled? So even before like, I ever started watching horror films, action was always my thing. Like, I mean, God, I grew up on Die Hard. Sure. How many times did I watch Die Hard? Um, you know, I grew up sitting with my grandfather just watching every action movie that came on TV, all the USA reruns. God, how many times have you seen Under Siege? Because I lost count. <laughs> Love it. And uh, when I started getting into horror films, uh, it was actually when we were rooming together, mm-hmm. and you were like, have you ever watched any Chinese action films? Because you really like action. And I was like, no. You know, I don't really think I've ever seen any of those. And you were like, well, dude, you need to learn about John Woo. And what we watched first together you showed me a clip of the killer. Yes. And good God, is that an awesome movie? Oh, yeah. <laughs> but kind of what snagged me, though, like John Woo's other films don't quite have the flash for me that Hard Boiled does. Mm-hmm. Hard Boiled is in your face and flashy throughout the whole movie. Like this is this movie is just like, what can we what can we film and how much can we do? So finding out that Dustin had actually not really visited much of John Woo's cinema, I chose Hard Boiled. So I'll own up to this kind of out of the gate. A lot of Chinese cinema is kind of a black hole for me. With anything, you only have so much time to go into stuff. Uh, People that listen to this will rapidly learn that Japan is kind of my focus in a lot of things. And so... They're like right next to each other, though, on the map. Um, So I've heard of all these films, but I've never had the opportunity to see them. So I'm glad to finally start checking some of those off. Yeah, and hard-boiled, my God. Okay, so let's, all right, let's just start talking about it. All right, so. Yeah, what is hard-boiled about? All right, I'm going to give you the synopsis. A cop who loses his partner in a shootout with gun smugglers goes on a mission to catch him. In order to get closer to the leaders of the ring, he joins forces with an undercover cop who's working as a gangster hitman. They use all means of excessive force to find them. Did you just read the back of the DVD box or something? Yeah, it's actually the IMD, IMDb oh, okay. um, mm-hmm. uh, that, synopsis. Well, that's a succinct synopsis. I mean, it, yeah, it, there's so much more going on in Hardboiled than that. but Excessive force is an understatement. I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's go ahead and let's just start talking about that. All right, so 1992, directed by John Woo. Starring uh, Chai Yun-Fat. And... What genre of film is this specifically, or actually subgenre? I guess. To oh, be I exact. think you're the one to answer that one. Okay, I will. Um, it is what is known as heroic bloodshed, and um, that was a term coined by the editor Rick Baker, not the makeup effects Rick Baker, uh, in the magazine Eastern Heroes, uh, to refer to a group of movies that were coming out in the late '80s that um, had very stylized action sequences and had verbose, dramatic themes of brotherhood and loyalty and violence. Lots and lots of violence. What other movies can you think of that would have been in? 
well, I think the first one's widely considered to be John Woo's first big breakout movie, which was um, Better Tomorrow with Chow Yun-Fat. Cool. Okay. Uh, Ringo Lam also did a few of those. Andy Lau. And so uh, Chow's had several collaborations with Wu, right? Yes. Yes. He's basically the De Niro to Wu's Scorsese. Okay. Well, I've got a technical question as sort of the newcomer to all of this, and I'm sure one of you can explain this. Uh, it was true when we watched this movie, and it's been true in some other Chinese films I've checked out. When we're talking about the audio, there's usually two tracks. There's Mandarin and Cantonese. Yes. What's the difference? Which one should I be going to listen to? Does it matter? Is there a reason that I can care or discern? Well, like a lot of foreign films, uh, Hong Kong films, they weren't filmed with sync sound. They did everything ADR. Right. Um, usually the actors would supply their, their actual dub their own you know, acting. Um, I personally go with Cantonese because that's what was spoken in Hong Kong largely at the time. Mm-hmm. That's just a preference of mine. I agree. So, and as far as Mandarin goes, Mandarin is going to be what's spoken now, you know, throughout most of mainland China. So if you go pick up Hard Boiled now and you watch it in Cantonese, most people are going to be like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> you know, it would be just like us watching, you know, something without subtitles in a language we don't speak. Right. So, but, but yeah, Jason's right. Like it's pretty much, it was the language spoken in Hong Kong and uh, mostly still is spoken in Hong Kong. Please correct me if I'm wrong. I believe so. I believe that it is still mostly spoken in Hong Kong, but only Hong Kong. And this movie was released a few years before the um, Chinese handover. Because before that, Hong Kong was a British colony. So, of course, all the movies that were played in Hong Kong also had to have English subtitles. Mm -hmm. Now, the um, veracity of those English subtitles were up to debate sometimes. They were often very flawed and quickly translated and sometimes you get some very amusing translations but um yeah and i think this film probably more than a lot of the action films at the time kind of reflects that tension of the coming handover Uh, it just feels like john woo was just really intense on producing the best john woo film possible it was kind of his last hurrah i think he knew before and actually, he did leave Hong Kong after this. Right, this was right. his last Hong Kong movie for a long time. And then he transitioned to Hollywood. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And God, how that changed. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking Mission Impossible 2 here, guys. Well, he did Hard Target first. Which oh, yeah, he did Hard Target, which has its... I like. I like it Hard Target. It has its moments. Uh, there are a lot of scenes in full... I'm not full contact. It's a different Chow Yun-Fat movie, <laughs> um, which I also recommend. But... Um, in Hard Boiled, there's a lot of scenes that he would reuse in Hard Target. Interesting. If you go back and watch Hard Target, which I did recently watch some clips from, the stunts don't hold up as well. You can definitely tell the difference between a Hong Kong stunt crew and an American stunt crew and what they're willing to do. Yeah, American stunt crews are willing to die for the movie. <laughs> I mean, that's probably a good idea. <laughs> but you can definitely tell, and... It, it shows. I mean, like, mm. there's definitely a transition of Hong Kong John Woo mm-hmm. and then Hollywood John Woo. Oh, and, sure. And, and the producers, they cut the hell out of that movie. It, it was originally given uh, NC-17 ratings due to violence. Oh, so they trimmed, death. like, a good eight minutes or something like that. Oh, wow. I mm-hmm. actually didn't know that. So, we won't judge John Woo on his Hollywood films. I mean... 
they're there. Mm-hmm. They're what they are. But if you're going to watch John Woo, you got to go to Hong Kong. You got to go to Hong Kong. And I do have one little production thing I do want to talk about. All right. This is just very personal to me. Uh, if you go way down in the cast list, you'll notice a Japanese name in there. Jun Kunimura happens to be a favorite of mine. If you work through a lot of, uh, I'll just say Asian cinema in general, you'll probably notice this guy. You'll recognize his face. And uh, hard-boiled, he is the maniac in the restaurant at the start with the Uzi. You nerded out hardcore, too, when we were watching Yeah, I, I lost my... <laughs> I've never seen him so young and so good-looking. I've seen him through all the ages, but this was this was another Jun Kunimura. You nerded out hard. And just to see him going toe-to-toe with uh, Chow, it was, it was great. Well, I always thought he had a striking presence in the movie. Oh, like yeah. he, The first time I saw it, which was a long time ago, back in college... Uh, seeing that actor, I thought he was going to be the big bad or something because mm-hmm. he had that presence. He just, anything he's in, it doesn't matter if it's a bit part, if he's the main character, whatever, just his demeanor, his face, everything about how he carries himself, he just grabs the screen and demands your attention. Mm-hmm. So I was very surprised to see him pop up here. I did not know that. It was very pleasant. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you're you. welcome. And that scene you're talking about in the tea house. Um, that was actually a scene shot before the movie was even scripted because that oh, was wow. a real tea house that was going to be demolished. So John Wu was like, okay, I'm, I'm making a movie. I have everyone together. I have my crew. We're going to hurry over here. We're going to quickly kind of sketch out a scene and we're going to shoot it. So they didn't have to worry about damaging anything with all those explosives and squibs and stuff because it wow. was going to get demolished anyway. They probably actually like cut down on demolishing, like demolition. They did half of it for free. Right. John Woo was wow. like, "I can blow this building up for you." Yeah, so they had no idea who uh, Chiang Fat was playing at the time. They're just like, "You're a cop. These are bad guys. Go shoot them." That's incredible. And that, but it fits. Like when you're watching oh, yeah. that, knowing that story now, like I'm thinking of that scene, and I'm like, "Oh yeah, it does seem." That scene is disconnected from the rest of the film in a way, but serves an integral part of the story. So that's super cool now, knowing that. Right. And really, that is the opening of the film. So if we just want to talk about that as a scene, like, what a way to kick off a movie. Oh, yeah. Like, holy shit, just... Even the way it's shot, as they kind of, like, pan all the way around through the restaurant at first, and it's almost like they set up every little bit that they're going to use later for some kind of action scene sliding across a table, diving over something. This is definitely, like, when you watch this film, like, all the action movies that you can think of that you grew up on, like some of the greats, you should be seeing elements of what you grew up on in these shots. Definitely, definitely. You know that John Woo had seen all these films of the 70s and... 80s going through and he's like i'm stealing that i'm taking that well that's exactly right because this was his answer to uh the american action movies by people like clint eastwood and steve mcqueen this was his american movie and it feels it though but it's like it's if we took hollywood out of it Mm -hmm. and didn't dial back what we could do (laughs) and john was like this is my response let me show you what hong kong can do and there's more action in that one opening sequence than there are in most american action films. oh god yeah especially at the time in most american action films that opening sequence is the damn finale Mm -hmm. of an american action film that people will talk about leaving the theater and like oh my god i want to go watch it again for that for that final sequence no john woo kicks the door open with that sequence yeah and, uh, and if oh. we're talking about that, too, I think another key thing is that rail slide. 
yeah. down out of the restaurant mm-hmm. is just you know and stellar. That, that was also impromptu. I mean, they just saw the rail and they're like, "Well, how about you slide down shooting two guns at the same time?" Have you ever fired two guns at the same time? <laughs> uh, Chow Yun Fat has many times. Oh, I think we all know how many times Chow Yun has done it. So, obviously, I'd seen the movie before. Mm-hmm. Jason had actually seen the movie before because he introduced me to it. Let me go ahead and throw this out. The version of the film that we were watching was Dragon Dynasty's remaster of it on Blu-ray. Um, it looks really good for... As good as it can, I think. Yeah, yeah. as good as it can. I mean, oh, you're, not, you're not going to get a great 4K scan restoration kind of a thing out of this movie. But having owned the DVD and then, you know, Jason presenting me with this for my on my birthday. Mm-hmm. You were about for, to say how old uh, you were, uh, yeah, weren't you? <laughs> I was. Lovely. On my birthday as a birthday gift for the night that we're watching it, it looks great. It looks great. It sounds great. Um, I think you can still pick this up. You picked it up pretty mm-hmm. easily, yeah, right? Sure. Yeah, it was on Amazon. Yeah, so easy to find. I mean, I don't think you're going to find it streaming anywhere. I couldn't. Which is unfortunate because shame. I know everybody sitting at home, the easiest thing to do is find it streaming. Um, however, I do think this one is worth seeking out. It's it's one you'll watch many, many times. Hell, I've watched it at least five or six. It really makes you wish there was like a platform where they kind of just streamed all this kind of Asian cinema stuff. Get on that. Yeah. Yeah, so someone should make that. that. Anyone listening out there with a lot of money, do that. Or influence, you know, that's that's cool too. All you redditors, just come together. <laughs> Listen, if you can soar GameStop to the top, you can get us an Asian <laughs> streaming network Do for it. all these films. Do it now. All right, so now that we've seen it, Dustin, what do you, what did you think of it? So I've seen one other of these movies. I've seen The Killer. Which is awesome, which is also awesome. Jason also introduced me to. I loved that one. And really, like... I mean, it just it just blows you away. I don't really know another way to describe it. Just the level of action and how they escalate and frame the shots and the meticulousness to choreograph all of this stuff is just, you know, out the window. Mm-hmm. Um, I think maybe personally, I have a little closer connection to the killer. It's got that, you know, more somber mood. Oh, yeah, definitely. So that on a personal level speaks to me more. But as far as just like a spectacle, Hard Boiled is just at the top. You'd be hard-pressed to surpass it in any way. Or would you say you'd be hard-pressed <laughs> to top hard-boiled? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but even just uh, the the audio, the way they've you know done everything with that, when the shotguns come in the picture, and they're just blowing people away, every boom of a shot. Oh, yeah, you feel you it. You feel it as you're watching. And, and the, the entire scenery blows apart. It's not... It's what we describe as hyper-realistic, because when you fire a gun into even like a steel wall, it's going to make a hole. It's just going right. to do a little punch. But in a John Woo movie, sparks fly out. Oh, yeah. Papers go flying. People go flying. <laughs> um, I mean, John Woo got a lot of uh, probably critique in America for using the slow motion so much, but he knows how to use it. You know, slow motion can be a really overused technique, but... Wu and his editor, they know how to, they know just when to stop and go back to 24 frames per second. And it just <sighs> makes it so exciting, I think. And part of it, too, is just the, the movement of the camera. I felt like it was always in motion. And even in those slow motion segments, you're kind of panning around something or moving through somewhere. Right. So even as it slows down, you're still, like, right there in the action. And speaking of the action, um, one of the actors in the movie who plays Mad Dog... Uh, Philip Philip Kwok. He went by Philip Kwok in this movie. Uh, Philip Kwok was the action choreographer, 
and the character of Mad Dog that he plays did not originally exist in the script. They were just so impressed by his physicality and his ability, and they knew that they needed to have like a heavy for uh, Tony Leung and Chang Fat to fight, mm-hmm. that they wrote the character of Mad Dog in there. Because they didn't think that Anthony Wong had that immediate, you know, well, he physical doesn't. presence. He, no, he, I mean, he, he, he's, he's the brains, you know. Yeah, he's, he's clearly, you know, the, the mob boss, you right. know, like you don't, he's not the guy who picks up the gun. Mad Dog's the guy who picks up the gun. <laughs> and, you know, something that I was just thinking about, like, and I was trying to find some info on this, but there's another Mad Dog in a pretty recent awesome action film, which <laughs> is The Raid. Mm. Mm. Um, yeah, classic. And the characters are very parallel. Yeah, you think it's an homage? The name? I think it Could totally be. is. Um, I was looking to see if that was listed anywhere online. A little trivia fact or something? I didn't see anything. But those two characters are, you know, they play the same role, you know, in the film. Um, one is much more of a, quote, mad dog than um, <laughs> than the other. But, but no, I kind of wondered that. Maybe we can get an answer to that. Yeah, something to do some research on. So clearly, Jason, you love the movie. Mm-hmm. Clearly. What made you be okay with watching it again? As I said before, it's infinitely rewatchable. I mean, you just don't get tired of it. I would agree. I, I have to completely agree. There were times, like as many times as I've seen this, I found myself like looking at you, Dustin, like grinning, like, oh my God, <laughs> wait till he sees this. It's that moment when you know it's coming and you want to see see the experience for the first time on someone else. Oh, it was so mm-hmm. great. It was so great to 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 watch you watch it. That sounded creepy, didn't it? That's I? a little creepy, but it's okay. No, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, no, I cool. love you, man. It's okay. It's cool. <laughs> um, so I will say we're all, you know, sunshine and flowers about this film, but I do think... I wouldn't call it a perfect film. No, it's got its flaws, and I'm open to talk about those flaws. I think, what kind of flaws does it have? I think, to me, there were a few few pieces in the plot where they kind of really, really slowed down, almost to the point where it's kind of dragging a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I noticed I was kind of looking to the clock and thinking, you know, hmm, where's this going? Is this is this going to add anything? Uh, what really stood out to me is everything to do with this vault and the guns that are being held. Yeah, really close to the third act. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in, in the film, in. the big bad played by Anthony Wong, has a cache of guns beneath a hospital in the basement, in the secret vault. And initially, I think the setup with the hospital is great, because kind of like the the restaurant and then in the middle of the film with the warehouse, at first we just very casually pan through all about the hospital, and all of it is just set up to later, everything you've seen gets used somehow in an action stunt, which is great. But once we go down to that vault, it's just like the brakes hit. And I, I guess it's supposed to be sort of a character moment between uh, Tequila and Alan, but... That's probably some of the most character development you get between the two of them, but I'm not sure that it was done in the most efficient way. It, right. it feels like there's two or three scenes in the vault alone mm-hmm. with them. You're right. And that could have been shortened to one, I think. Although Tony Leung and Chow Yun-Fat do have great chemistry. And what I do want to say is I do think there's some really good... Ac- economical storytelling that they've made with the movie we learn a lot about both leads and it's kind of just in incidental ways like tequila's love of jazz music they just show us just enough that we kind of get a sense of him and who he is and sort of the grief he has that his partner gets gunned down in the opening of the film and with alan it's this sort of dream to kind of get away from everything and go off and you know he brings up that uh he's been undercover for so long he's starting to lose track of 
who he really is. Right, like the the things that you see him doing. I mean, this is kind of and they don't they don't dwell on it, but they give you just enough that it's like you you know who these people are and kind of their motivations and what they're about. Right, like this guy's so embedded within mm-hmm. this crime family that you know, they're ready to like make him the successor mm-hmm. almost. Like when even the the children of the head of this crime organization are kind of like not not next in line really mm-hmm. like you know that's how embedded he is right Tony Lung uh, has been working for one of the triad bosses Uncle Hoy and it's obvious that he and Uncle Hoy have like a father-son relationship almost and he genuinely cares for him so in that warehouse scene we were just talking about um, Anthony Wong's character forces Alan to kill Uncle Hoy and I think that's it's a, it's just a great scene. It's really a showcase for Tony Leung. You see the emotion on his face when he does kill his boss. And after he prompt the Uncle Hoy mask, Alan to spare his men. It's like kill kill me, fine, but please spare my men. Uh, and then Alan shoots him, and then walks away. You just see all this grief come over his face. And then he just grabs someone's machine gun, turns around, guns down all of Uncle Hoy's men. And it's just that despair and rage, very right? hard shame moment. and guilt. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. just it's, it's. You don't get a lot from from his past, but you feel like he didn't have maybe much have much of a family. Yeah, you know, and maybe that's the reason that he was chosen to embed himself mm-hmm. into this crime family. But no, that scene's hard. That scene that scene packs a lot more emotional punch than a lot of you know action films that we've all grown up watching or right. even a like a character driven drama where there's a lot of build up still this had the same hit yeah i think it could easily this like there's so much drama in this film that could easily get washed away mm-hmm. by how much stuff explodes <laughs> in this <laughs> film which is literally everything but but the story that's being told is it's really good mm-hmm. like it's not anything new but it's a good story right and honestly i feel like a whole lot of I'm not going to say buddy cop films like took from this because we had Lethal Weapon before this, but oh. you know, like I think there's definitely a bit of Lethal Weapon in this film. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, with a horribly less amount of Gary Busey. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a good or a bad thing? I'm not sure. It just depends, Jason. It really <laughs> depends on which Gary Busey you get on that day. Um, and, and one of uh, John Woo's apparently frequent directions to Tony Leung was always lonely. Alan is always lonely. So apparently Tony Leung would also kind of keep away from everyone on set, kind of be kept at a distance. Oh, wow. Yeah. And well, I don't know if we want to go into spoilers or not. I think it's, we've spoiled enough think... of the film already. <laughs> yeah. But if you're if you've watched any John Woo films, you know that the heroes tend to die frequently. And Alan was supposed to die at the end of this. Oh, you but, could feel that. But yeah. the rest of the crew were like, no, no, let him have a happy ending. You know, don't kill him. So John Woo spared him, and Alan gets to sail off into the sunset at the end of the movie. Which I do believe Mythbusters had an episode about, uh, you know, shooting bullets through things like a lighter or something metal to protect yourself. And pretty sure it doesn't quite work like that. But, well, it, uh, it's all about the caliber and the angle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's so awesome, I just give it a pass, you know. Why not? I mean, yeah, these are movies that you have to, you know, well, yeah, and disbelief to. People are taking gunshots at point blank range, and they're still, you know, moving mm-hmm. and firing back. It's not exactly <laughs> realistic. Everything's hyper stylized. It's, it's so much fun. But unlike a lot of films, though, I feel like 
oh, this is going to sound like a John Woo catchphrase or something, but I feel like almost every bullet tells a story. Ooh. Every shot that is fired. Nice. You almost feel like, it, well, you do feel it was intentional. You feel like every shot that's fired is tell is moving that story forward mm-hmm. in some way. And good God, when you get the shotguns out, like you're really moving the story forward. But no, I mean, yes, I'm still fawning all over this movie, but it does have its issues. You know, oh, yeah. like it's got some pacing issues that it's I don't. It's a bit long. Yeah. It could be probably cut by 10, 15 minutes. And for me, a little bit, the, the final act, the final act is amazing, but there's this whole subplot about the babies. We got right. to get the babies out. Right. We got to get the babies down. And you know, it just. Um, his boss in the film, uh, her name's Teresa Chang. She's played by, uh, help, <laughs> help. Uh, Teresa Mo. Teresa Mo. Um, and she's... fun fact, do you know who was supposed to play her uh, character at first? Michelle Yeoh. Oh, wow. awesome. That's, that's interesting. No, I think she, she's only in the film a little bit, but I think every moment she's on, she's great. But just this whole subplot of saving the babies, it, there, you feel like there's something cut out there. Yeah. Now, what I'm getting from that is the relationship between Tequila and Teresa. Definitely, definitely. I'm getting that she wanted more, mm-hmm. and she wanted a baby, and Tequila, he's just too cool for that. Well, his oh, name's yeah. Tequila, of course. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Inspector Tequila Yuen <laughs> can't settle down and have children, so... And I mean, I will say, though, despite kind of getting hung up on it, I do think there's great payoff in the end when it's the one baby left. Yeah. And he has no option but just to tote it in his arms for the final fight. It's a very lone wolf and cub moment, you know, holding the infant and shooting bad guys with the gun in the other hand. It's, you know. And even how they play it for comedy a little bit where he gets set on fire and just by, by happenstance the baby puts it out for him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, we, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, the original plot uh, for this movie was inspired by a real incident in Japan. Oh. So, Dustin, you might actually know a movie that's already been based on this event. Uh, but apparently someone was poisoning baby food. That does sound a little familiar. Yeah, so I guess it was going to be about Chow Yun-Fat fighting some baby food poisoner. Interesting. Uh, but we was afraid it would inspire copycats. Oh. And and portray any actor like if Johnny Wong was playing a a guy who poisons babies, it might portray them in too negative of a light. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, guys who poison babies are pretty scum of the earth. It's pretty evil. <laughs> I mean, being a gun running, you know, triad leader. No, I can look over that. <laughs> but I could see with that angle a little bit, it kind of gels the baby plot a little more in there. Yeah, I think that's definitely where the babies came in on. Yeah. Yeah, anything else you know about this movie? Well, speaking of triads, apparently during production, according to the producer Terrence Chang, they had to pay off actual triad members. Oh, nice. To leave their production wow. alone. <laughs> <laughs> Why, because it was too real? <laughs> I think just I think that's common practice there. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's something. There's cool. something about some films when they're made, there's a bit of danger in their production, I think, and often that translates into the film itself. Mm, I think you might be right. Especially in a movie like this, I think it shows. I mean, that's those are things that, you know, might color your view of the film. But, I mean, totally makes me think about things again after knowing that. Well, apparently it was actually kind of a dangerous um, set. Because John Woo was getting a little too, um, shall we say, um, 
frivolous with the explosives. Um, <laughs> you don't say. <laughs> you don't say. And actually, in one scene, that the, the famous scene where Mad Dog and Alan are shooting at each other while running, shooting at you through the glass in the hospital, mm-hmm. uh, that was real glass. Oh, and wow. some of the glass got in Tony Leung's eyes. And oh, he kept God. going. You could see him. He's kind of, you know, holding Because he's his, a professional. He's what a professional. <laughs> but he kept going, shot the scene, and then they rushed him to the hospital. But he apparently was in very big danger of losing eyesight from that. Well, listen here. I mean, he can go cry to Jackie Chan about it. <laughs> 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 so as far as the story uh, there is one thing I really liked it, I guess if you go through a lot of action films this isn't something that's like innovative but I really appreciated the stances of the two leads as far as like who they are as people uh, you've got Alan who's a double agent and he's been one for so long he feels like he's sort of lost in the darkness at this point unsure of himself who he is Will he one day shoot down an ally? Who even are his allies now? And then you have Tequila, who kind of uses... I would say, like, he has this very lightheartedness about him. And it seems to me like they suggest that this is a front that he puts out. Because he's, you know, he's been through some shit. Not just what we've seen, losing a partner in the opening in the restaurant, but even up to this point. You can tell in some of his conversations uh, to his superiors that they've gone around a lot... A lot right. about his, how how far, how hard he's pushed things. And you can just tell he's been through a lot. And so you've got, you know, the one who's sort of couched in this darkness, and then this other one who uses his own lightheartedness to kind of mask and deal with that. And I think it really pays off at the end of the film when Tequila gets so determined that Alan will survive and make it through to the end. Uh, there's one moment in the hospital where when things are not going so well, Alan kind of gets that determination that he's just going to sacrifice himself so that they can make it through and it'll be okay. And he really pushes for him to keep on going. And it makes me wonder if that's what you were talking about. Like, if maybe that was in the original script, that that's where he was going to kick it. Kind Mm -hmm. of a reflection of the crew's attitude at the time, too. Like, no, let Alan live. Let's let's have a happy ending for once. (laughs) And And then it comes full circle in that standoff um, it really seems like the only solution is to just shoot through Alan to get him. But Alan chooses to live by kind of setting up with the lighter to block the bullet and then like forcefully shooting himself to open it up. Pull the total grief carga. Mm-hmm. Total grief carga. Mandalorian reference for you guys there. <laughs> <laughs> but you make a good point, uh, Dustin, about Tequila's determination and myopic view of law enforcement because he has he has the typical rounded rounds with his superior like you always see in these movies. Right. Speaking of the superior, um, played by Terrence Chang, scratch that that is incorrect. Philip. Philip Chang. Chan. Chan. <laughs> <clears throat> I'm totally leaving that. Take in. take three. <laughs> uh, Tequila Superior, the superintendent, played by. Can't. <laughs> Philip Chan. Played by Philip Chan. Uh, was actually a real um, Hong Kong police officer, a real detective. Oh, cool. And he was actually in charge of undercover agents. And he's gone on to have like a very successful career. He speaks fluent English. He's been in tons of movies. Um, but my point was that Tequila's perseverance is shown because he goes, he goes into that warehouse single-handedly and yeah, that's a scene you've seen before, the the one lone mm-hmm. hero taking on an army of goons. 
But, and this is another John Wooism, you always see the two guys pointing the guns at each other right, right in the forehead. And neither of them are shooting because either they respect each other or they're just kind of sizing each other up. Or they're out of bullets. Or they're out of bullets. <laughs> um, but in this scene, when Alan and Tequila come head to head, and Tequila at this point doesn't know Alan, he thinks he's a triad member, mm-hmm. they both have their guns at each other's heads, but Tequila immediately squeezes his trigger. And right. he's ready to drop him. So it's the, it's like the one John Woo scene standoff where someone actually does pull the trigger, but of course, yeah, he was out of bullets, so couldn't kill him. Yeah, there's just uh, we don't get a lot of characterization, but just in his portrayal, there's there's a depth there that I think that's a little greater than uh, what it might seem at first. Agreed. At this time, like we'd really like to hear what you guys have to say about the film. So we've talked about it. You know, we've spoiled the hell out of it. But hopefully in the future you'll see what we're going to be watching next. And you can go watch it, you know, before you come listen to the episode. And then we want you to write to us at genreexposure at gmail.com. And I really think it's a do what you wish. If you just, you're not sure about a movie and you don't care about spoilers and you just want to listen in and figure out if it's right for you, you can do that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, We would love for people to be excited and get along with us and kind of follow film to film and check it out and tell us what you think we'll be happy to read them on air break them down if you have questions if you have thoughts if it's your favorite film and you want to wax philosophical about it go for it man Yeah, i want to dig in dig in on all of it and you can join us on social media on your favorite platforms there Uh, we'll provide links to those for you um so yeah i mean we want to hear what you guys have to say about this but Final thoughts on Hard Boiled before we put it to rest. Dustin, final thoughts. I've got a lot more John Woo to get through, so I can only really compare it to The Killer. I like The Killer a little more, but still, even with all my hang-ups, um, I use Letterboxd. If I had to you know, put down a star rating, I would still give it five stars. Damn. I think even with its faults, it's still just an incredible film, super fun. You know, it's a blast start to finish. I would like to point out that the last two films I've brought to our movie club have been <laughs> five out of five stars for Dustin, and <laughs> Jason is running on uh, not that good of a rating. Well, we'll see about um, next week. We'll, well I'm like a I'm like a twisted Simon Cowell because if I love it, I easily give a five star. But if I have a hang up, I really I really get hung up about it. So <laughs> you don't have nearly as much of a British accent either. We'll see how that pans out as we go film the film. <laughs> So, Dustin, you'd recommend it? I, absolutely. If you want a great action film, if you want to get into Hong Kong cinema, anything of John Woo, it's a great starting point, I think. Jason? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and it's important to go back and watch older movies like this, because without this type of movie, we never would have gotten The Matrix. We wouldn't have gotten John Wick. Oh, God, I was thinking about the Because those are direct descendants when of this movie. When you think of this, the the scene in the lobby of the matrix mm-hmm. john woo could have directed that oh easily like so many films now once you watch this you're like oh that's you see the connection points the wachowskis were worshiping at the altar of john woo there <laughs> very much so oh absolutely um yeah i mean if i were to give it a star rating i would probably give it four and a half stars only because it's not a better tomorrow or the killer <laughs> So if I can quantify a little bit, your five stars are very hard to get. They okay. are. Yeah. They're even even if you love the movie, you yes. just... Something about it. It is not something I give lightly, no. Okay. Michael. I think I'm going to have to be with Jason on this one, though. As much as I love, love, love Hard Boiled, it's got some hang-ups. Definitely. So I'm not going to say it's a perfect film. I, I don't think I can give it five out of five. 
but I think I could easily give it four and a half out of five. And the rewatch, like when you go back and rewatch these, like, yeah, man, it holds up. It holds up really strong. Oh yeah. But as you rewatch it, you start to see some things. You're like, oh, I think I might have been blinded a little bit by the excitement of the first time I watched that. Mm-hmm. But that's okay. Like that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to go back and watch films and try to critique them and see, you know, what holds up, what didn't. You know, that's an. I think it's an important thing to do. So yeah. I'm going to give it four out of five, but I'm going to say absolutely go buy this movie. Mm. I mean, I wish you could rent it. Maybe you can. Maybe you can do one of the rental services and rent it online. There's no way of knowing. There's no way we can actually check that right now. It shifts and changes so much. We would have to have a full access to the internet right now (laughs) to be able to pull that up and check it. It's impossible. And I'm sorry, but we don't have that kind of budget. It's impossible to go to justwatch.com and see if it's streaming. It's impossible. Right yeah. But no. I am a, a collector. That's another thing people will learn quickly as we go. So if I do want to add this to my collection, it's the Dragon Dynasty Blu ray I want to be looking for. That's one to go with, yes. And if you guys want to play along with a drinking game with us, every time Justin, Dustin says, I've got the blue, you guys take a <laughs> shot. You'll be blitzed. Just by not the... if you're driving. <laughs> yeah, if you're driving, don't be taking shots. <laughs> Wait but... till you get to work. Yeah, absolutely. Wait till you get to work. You'll be blitzed by lunch, I promise. So let's talk about what we're going to watch next week. Um, For next time, it is my pick. It is a movie from 1977 Ah, called Sorcerer by William Friedkin. It's got to be a fantasy film, right? Obviously, it's called Sorcerer. What else would it be? (laughs) For anybody who's listening that may not know, William Friedkin, The Exorcist. French Connection. French Connection. Which hardcore classics. I mean... We could devote episodes to those anyway, but yeah, we don't we don't need to. And I've never seen this. It'll be another new discovery for me. I have not seen it either. I hope they like it. I hope you'll illuminate us on Sorcerer. I look forward to it. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in, listening to our ramblings and rantings on Hard Boiled. I hope that you enjoyed it, and I hope that you're inspired to go check out the film and write us and disagree with us as much as you want. And please correct us if we got anything wrong, uh, if a little factoid wrong, a name wrong. Write Mostly in. just correct, Dustin. Don't correct me. Hmm. Please. Just Dustin needs to be corrected. <laughs> and that will be at genreexposure at gmail.com. You can also connect with us on all of your favorite social media outlets at Genre Exposure Podcast. So again, thank you guys, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye for now. See you.